welcome to another episode of Soul Care with me, Angie Fatal. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm on the unceded territory of, I am with my friend and my spiritual direction client, Adriana Nicholson. Um, I want to say before she and I get started that um, spiritual direction or soul care or companionship, whatever you want to call it, whatever you've heard, or maybe you haven't heard anything, um, a confidentiality agreement between me and my client, just like a therapist um, and a doctor. I What happens in a spiritual direction meeting stays in a spiritual direction meeting. I wouldn't talk about Adriana's stuff outside of the meeting. She is allowed to talk about what happens as much as she wants, but as her spiritual director, I would not. But because of a conversation that we had recently, um, I approached her and asked her if she would want to do this and gave her an out if she did not. But I thought what she has gone through and, um, her different, the different approaches that she's taken under the circumstances that we're going to talk about today would be beneficial to other people. And she was excited about doing it. So I just first want to say, I'm not breaking any confidentiality. I've asked her ahead of time what she is willing to talk about and what she isn't. And at any point during this conversation, she can say, I don't want to talk about that and I'll cut it out. So this is something that she and I have both agreed on. So I just want to make it clear. If you are meeting with a therapist or a spiritual director and they are talking about your stuff, they are breaking a confidentiality agreement. And uh, that's not okay. She agreed and she is excited. So I am very grateful and excited that she's here. Adriana lives in Virginia, Charlottesville, and she is a a certified spiritual director. So if you're looking for somebody um, in that area or also that meets with people, you know, not in the area where she lives and um, she says something that strikes you, please reach out to her. I know she's accepting clients right now. She is an artist. She holds space um, with her clients and in groups using art therapy and centering art practices. She is also trained in Ignatian spirituality and in 12-step. So there's a lot of things that she does that I know about. And then there's things that I don't know about. She is a radical lover of people and also takes no shit. Which is real love. I mean, let's be honest. Real love. I'm not saying real love doesn't bend and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Isn't open to the trials and tribulations that come with love. But love also speaks truth. And it speaks truth to power. And it doesn't just accept the status quo. Love pushes for more. And Adriana is somebody that I know personally pushes for more. 
And that is not always um, accepted by people that don't want to be pushed. (laughs) (laughs) Here with her, and I am excited to be with her, and I'm very grateful she agreed. This um, This is the first time for us, for me, to do this on the show, to interview somebody that is a client that is a spiritual director that we're taking a risk here both <laughs> both <laughs> thank you for being here adriana nicholson i'm glad to be here angie to be perfectly <laughs> honest <laughs> so you did a great job so i am i'm adriana nicholson in the live and flesh um, i'm a spiritual director in um, Charlottesville, Virginia, working on my certification as a coach. And you pretty much touched on everything. Um, I am a spiritual director. I specialize in 12-step work and Ignatian spirituality. I do and am a radical lover of people. Um, I helped start a homeless shelter here in town and absolutely love um, still working for them part-time. Um, and being involved in that ministry and folks. Um, I'm an ordained Baptist minister mm-hmm. um, who doesn't get to serve a congregation at the moment, but that's a whole story unto yes. itself. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much who I am. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I have three beautiful grandsons and a gigantic dog that I share a home with. So, <laughs> what's, your, what's your dog's name? Chase. He is a giant great Pyrenees. And if you're not familiar with the breed, they are big white balls of fur. They look like <laughs> polar bears. <laughs> he is very cute. He is. <laughs> he woke up, so we might so, get Yeah, we're we might be on borrowed time dog wise, but we always are on borrowed time dog wise. <sighs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> I think what what I really wanted to talk about. And what struck me when I was talking to you yesterday is how many times you have, like a phoenix, risen from the ashes of something. When I think what is lost in sometimes in the illustration of the phoenix is it um, just seems like the bird, you know, burns up and is then reborn. And what's missed is the actual death. Yeah. The burning part. It's not the the metaphor is it is consumed in fire, which Those means, flames burn. Yeah, which means there's pain involved. And mm-hmm. then, it, it, then it's reborn. The part that I see is I feel like you are somebody that meets a challenge and you may take a couple steps back from that challenge and and catch your breath or kind of refocus and see if it's even manageable, but you face the challenge. And um, one of the things that I've noticed is, and I think this is common in the human story, especially in the female human story. And I, that's as a, you know, a white, cis female woman that's that's the only point of view that I can really talk from and I know that probably queer and trans yeah we all have our phoenix rising from the ashes story Mm -hmm. I just want to be really careful I you and I can only speak from our personal experience as right as female identifying women that's kind of what I wanted you to talk about today the different challenges that you have faced the dreams that you 
have set out to realize and then kind of what's happened as you've realized those dreams. Because I think often we think, you know, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to become a pastor or I'm going to become a, you know, a therapist. And, and maybe that's true. Right. But so often the things where other people, if there's another person that's deciding our fate, often it doesn't go the way that we foresee. And then what do we do? And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today. And that's what you had agreed to kind of tackle. Mm-hmm. I think the best place to start, if you're cool with it, is just kind of telling your story from that perspective. Yeah. So one of the ways, and I think I've described it to you this way before, I know I have to other people. One of the ways I describe my life is, and, and people, life in general, this is just the way it is, is it's kind of like being in a pinball machine, you know, fine with the flappers. Yeah. <laughs> You're not in charge of those flappers. So, you know, you get shot out of the chute and we get shot out of the chute, you know, in a, in a pinball machine. You pull that back and the ball goes spinning and around it goes. And that ball doesn't always have the control it wishes it had or we think it should have. And the next thing you know, it's picking up speed and it's collecting all these points along the way. Yep. And all of a sudden, you know, the flipper comes out and hangs it in another direction. And that may or may not be a good direction. And we may pick up more points or we may lose points. <laughs> um, so it, for me, that meant that for the start of my life, I was, you know, I was pretty typical, I think, you know, I had a decent life. I had a single mom um, who did the best she could do. And in my 20s, you know, I kind of early 20s, I had several different jobs, met my husband, um, did really well, spent a couple months, about three to six months homeless for a while, just because of the way life was for me and being thrown out of the house on a regular basis for doing stuff I didn't understand I was doing wrong. And now when I look back, realize I wasn't doing anything wrong, quite frankly. That was was your mom? Hmm? Was that your mom throwing you out? Yeah. 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 Um, And, you know, came to realize that I wasn't doing anything wrong in those times. Um, I was just trying to, you know, manage to get by as best I could. Um, And just kept picking myself back up again. I would lose a job. I would find another one. Um, I remember one time, and I think we were talking about this yesterday, you know, my mom um, just didn't understand, and this was on her deathbed, she wanted to know why I sold a Hammond Porterby organ. I was an organist and played in clubs and whatnot back then, and this is the early, early 80s. And I'm looking at her like, honestly, you can't add two and two? Um, I, I was making $80 a week in salary. I had to pay for rent and to keep a roof over my head and to pay utilities. And she just didn't understand why I, when she came home and said I had to move out, I had to sell my organ. It's like, well, how else did you think I was paying these things? Yeah. Or um, can't sleep in it and can't lug it around on the streets with me. Honestly. Yeah. You know, so I had to find a different way to manage 
so I did. Um, and just kind of moved forward from there. And it, it seemed like my early 20s were kind of like this. Um, I really was in the pinball machine. I was up, I was down, I was over here, I was over there. But I was, you know, just trying to scrape by and do the best I could. Got married, had our daughter. We moved to the East Coast and, you know, just felt this draw to go back to church. I had been raised in the church. And so I went, you know, um, I think we all do that. (laughs) Whatever faith we've been, we've been raised with, whatever it might be, you know, we return to it when we feel led to do that. So I did. Um, And just kind of focused for a while on being a mom. I was called to ministry, but I was attending, you know, a church and a denomination that did not support women in ministry. Yeah. So I was like, well, that's not going to work, but it's okay. I'll find a way to make good on that. So I took my music ability and I went to nursing homes and I sang and, you know, did whatever I could. I led worship. I thought, well, you know, I can do, be a worship minister without doing much um, or, or being ordained. So I followed that path for quite a number of years. Um, can I ask just, a question? Sure. When you were doing that, um, did you feel like it was a good substitute or was there points in there where you were like, I really wish I could do this other thing or did, did it feel good? Yeah. Um, it depended on the day. Most days it felt good and it felt all okay. Um, but then there were other days when it was like, well, why can't I be more? You know, I remember going to, um, state conferences. I was talking about this with somebody else this morning and, you know, going to, to a state conference and wondering, well, why can't I lead worship here? Yeah. Uh, why can the guys do this, but I can't, you know? Um, And I just, I I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to. Um, Point in case, it's it's kind of a a joke, but now when I look back on it, but I had a boss for seven years who I loved dearly, who literally never invited me to lead worship in the church that I attended and worked for. But if somebody called this man's office and was looking for a worship leader, the first thing he'd do is say, you need to talk to my secretary. Really? Okay, sure. (laughs) So I would literally go lead worship in other churches in Charlottesville, but never in my own. (laughs) That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it made no sense at all. Because if, well, if you think women can't do it, then why are you? That's it sending the plague of woman to other churches (laughs) because it was the boundaries he was locked into it was the box he had to work in so he worked in it um and i i think that was what happened for me along the way is you know i was i had this box and i found ways to work within that Mm -hmm. i great joy in going to these other churches and leading worship i did an interim at an extremely conservative church where the pastor was like you know i have to be honest normally i wouldn't let a woman anywhere near my pulpit but there's something about you that i trust your vagina is safe huh your (laughs) vagina is safe 
yeah, pretty much, you know. <laughs> I was, you know, I was safe. Um, I really, I'm not, but, you know, apparently I was. Um, everybody thinks I am. I told somebody this week that, you know, I'm the person that you either love or you hate, you know, because I'm going to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, so anyway, long story short, that, you know, I... I got to this point in my life where I really wanted to go back to school and I, there were so many things I wanted to do and I applied for another job. I knew I was supposed to move from the job I was in, just had that feeling, you know, that yeah. feeling. Yep. Um, and thought, okay, I, I need to just leave this music secretary thing behind and move on. And there was a church up the street that was looking for a music secretary secretary. So I applied and, um, got this really nice letter back, you know, the kind that you just know as an administrative assistant is going in the circular file. There's no <laughs> it's, it read like, you know, the thank you, but no thank you letter. It was like, sorry, you don't quite, you know, we're not, you're not quite what we're looking for for this position, but you know, there may be something coming down the pike that we're looking mm -hmm. for. We're going to save your resume, set it aside and hold it for that. I'm like, you're right. I know where that went. Yeah. Uh, well, six months later, lo and behold, um, I, I'm totally disgruntled at this point, thinking I'm never going anywhere. Um, and the reality is this pastor at the Presbyterian Church up the block saw my resume, loved it, set it aside, called me when a position for coordinator of ministry and mission came up and invited me to interview for it. I was like, whoa, really? A Presbyterian church? Okay, I'll try it. <laughs> so I did that. And the reality is, you know, at first people looked at me like, what is this crazy Baptist woman doing in a Presbyterian church? What they didn't know was I had been raised Methodist. <laughs> so I kind of fit in. It was kind of like going home in a way to me. Um, so I did my thing there. And the pastor said, you know, we have this group that's going to start. A homeless shelter. And I'm like, I don't want to work at a homeless shelter. So that was the next kind of curveball I was thrown. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole time, I still don't even have my bachelor's degree. I'm now in my <laughs> you know, late 30s, early 40s. I don't even have a bachelor's degree. And I'm like, man, this is craziness. I need to go back to school. So I did. I, I start, helped start a homeless shelter. I went back to school. I fell in love with the people at the homeless shelter. Um, went back to school and loved every minute of get, getting my bachelor's degree and thought, this is what I'm going to do forever. I'm going to work. This is my ministry. I'm going to work at the homeless shelter and I'm going to be a human service provider. That was what my undergrad degree was in, human service and counseling. And that's what I'm going to do. Um, and when I graduated from um, with my bachelor's, I thought I just kept feeling this pull to ministry still and thinking, I can't do that. I, you know, I've been yeah. down that road already. I'm not going back there. Um, and I was pretty belligerent about, I don't want to go back there. And I remember sitting with my next pastor um, and telling him that I was not going to put my family in debt to go to seminary yeah. for a dream that I acquired when I was in high school just wasn't happening um and 
the next thing I knew, about four years later, my husband came home and put a letter in front of me and said, you can go back to school. <laughs> it won't cost us a dime. That's amazing. Yes. Isn't it, though? I was like, okay, I get to go to seminary. <laughs> what am I going to do with this? You know, I'm already in ministry. I think I'm doing what I want to do. But I would always had this feeling in the back of my mind that there was something more, you know, that um, – and I think that's the piece that you and I talked about yesterday that really hit. The piece was all along, everything I did wasn't quite enough. You know, I would, I, I even applied for seminary when I worked at, as a music secretary and before I got my bachelor's and was told, I'm sorry, you need to go back and get your bachelor's degree mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. So it was always, there's just not enough. You have to jump through this hoop and this next hoop and the next hoop and so I had my bachelor's degree and no it wasn't quite enough yet you know I I couldn't preach yet I needed to have the seminary degree to actually feel this standing or have this standing so I did that um, and in the meantime while all this is going on part of the phoenix part and rising out of the ashes is we literally burned I mean we moved to Charlottesville 22 years ago, and within three months of arriving, my husband, my partner in life, had a massive heart attack and almost mm. died. Mm -hmm. and, um, and 22 years ago, people died of the of yeah. massive heart attacks all the time. Um, had we not been where we were, he wouldn't be with us. Um, 15 years ago, um, you know, fast forward seven years and I'm working in a homeless shelter, getting ready to work at a homeless shelter. And he has a motorcycle accident and almost dies. And, you know, every time these things happen, it would be like, whoa, the wind just got knocked out of that yeah. sail, you know. Yeah. So all the family turmoils going on. Um, our daughter um, has a child. You know, um, and I'm attending a Baptist church. That went down like a bowl of cherries. <laughs> you know, I'm at I'm on staff at a Baptist church as a secretary, and, and my daughter walks in and tells the world she's pregnant. Yeah, that. Oh you know. yeah, that 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 happened to Todd's sister. They're Baptists, and she boyfriend had to go in front of the church and repent. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. It's crazy, you know. I didn't I have sex not... with the church. <laughs> yeah, honestly, honestly. And and I wouldn't make her marry the young man, so you know, I was just absolutely horrible. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and you know, the whole time just feeling like, nope, you need to do just a little bit more. And all this time I'm working with the state association of the Baptists and you know, trying the best that I can. And just never quite, I'm never grasping that brass ring. If you think about a carousel going around, it's like every time I go to grab the ring, it's a little further out and I can't, I can't quite get there. How does that, because I think that that's probably where a lot of people are. And as you and I know, you're a little bit older than me, but, you know, I don't think it's just age dependent. When it's that never ends. It does. So what 
you know, when you are going through situations like that, and I'm sure as you've aged and, and, or done work, um, your approach to these situations is different. But what is that communicating to you, do you think, as a woman and somebody that feels like they have a call? Oh, it definitely communicated I'm not enough. I mean, you know, you've seen um, one of the tattoos I wear that says enough, and it's there for a reason. People always look at it and go, really? A word? What's with the word? And it's like, it's there to remind mm-hmm. me, you know, that I am enough because this the whole time I'm fighting and scraping and trying, you know, and I'm doing everything that everybody says. I mean, I go to seminary and I have to approach my church and ask if they will ordain me. How did that so, go? Well, they said, sure, but we need to talk to you for a year. We yeah. can't do that till you graduate seminary. Okay, fine. So I wait the year. I have four conversations, which, which are great. I mean, don't get me wrong. The conversations were life-giving. The books were life-giving. But it was just, just the brass ring is there, but no, oh, we got to move it this little mm-hmm. bit more. Yeah. You know, and, and I've never known a man yet who went to a church and had to ask to be ordained. Yeah. They're, they're, they're automatically, if, if you're in seminary, you are automatically being ordained. If you are, you know, leading a worship ministry, you're automatically invited to be ordained or licensed. You know, it's not this you know, you have to go ask, but I had to go ask. So yeah. I did because I'm bold. I had to do I, that. I had to do um, that too with the bridge. I had to ask and I was also made to wait. Yeah. So, so, you know, you wait and you think that's going to be the yeah. answer. But the reality is that I've been ordained for three years. Yeah. It, the answer. <laughs> it didn't solve the big yes, you can do this now problem. What I discovered was in those three years, you know, and, and again, I love the congregation I'm part of here. And I want to say that up front. I absolutely love them. We have, you know, issues like every faith community does. Um, But the reality is, is that in those three years, I've preached three times. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think what we're trying to illustrate is not, you know, like what you're saying, you can love a place and you can be for that. place, And you can also say, this is fucked up. This is not okay to require certain things of some people because of their anatomy or color of their skin or orientation, um, but have one group of people that don't have to do any of those things. That's it. Exactly. They don't have to do anything. We have to look at those things because those are the things that keep our society functioning in the way it functions that destroys certain people and elevates other people. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah so i'm still i i'm an ordained minister um i had this great experience with helping to start a homeless shelter um that's another phoenix ashes kind of thing i literally when our um i so i've worked on and off for the shelter now for about 12 years when the executive director left literally had to sit and have a board member come to me and say you're not going to make us choose between you or him <laughs> i'm like really <laughs> again yeah with him you know because it, you know a man was also on staff and basically what they were saying was we don't want to have to choose between the two because we also we already we don't know have to make that decision yeah, that's it exactly. So, you know, I just said, okay, fine, I won't do that. Um, but on a personal level, you know, in amongst all this, you know, what you don't realize is that we allow that. And I think that's where the real Phoenix and Ashes comes in. Because we allow all that to create this slow burn in us that we don't realize is even there. Mm-hmm. And, and the burn starts to hurt and it starts to take a toll on who we are. You know, we start to question, um, am I enough? What am I doing wrong? What can I do more? So we work harder and longer and stronger. And eventually that catches up with us. And for me, it caught up with me two years ago. I had four brain bleeds mm-hmm. because... I literally was trying to be everything to everybody and get everything done at once. I was a certified spiritual director, seeing directees, working full time at, you know, a homeless show, volunteering at church, burning the candle at both being a mom, yeah, I mean, just trying to be everything at one time, and I fell flat on my face and burned. It was a big mm-hmm. burn. Um, I literally got put down and told, no, nope, you can't that you can't live that life anymore. You're going to kill mm-hmm. yourself. Um, you almost did. And I didn't even realize it was happening. That's the real joke. Who knew? Yeah. You know, I, mean, I think that's the <laughs> thing. That's the I mean, I'm going to use your illustration, but it is a slow burn. And when you are living that existence of depletion on on every level and over the the span of you've been doing this your whole life so it's not just we're doing it and yeah it finally caught up to you but most women um are doing this their whole life and we're using women as an illustration um and I am sure without a shadow of a doubt that your body told you, but, but when you come into the world and your first lessons are, don't listen to yourself. Number one, don't listen to your inner wisdom. You don't have any, you need to get it from your dad. You need to get it from the pastor. You need to get it from the deacons, which sets up a whole other fucked up system of predatory behavior. Um, And also not to listen to our body because the church is one of the worst institutions about teaching people to listen to their bodies. 
Yes. So we have a system that basically is setting us up for these and a culture, a culturally Americans um, don't listen to their bodies. You know, this dualistic system of mind over here, spiritual life over here, body over here. And so our body finally, after giving us every kind of warning sign it can possibly give us, can't give us any warning signs anymore. And no, it, it's emotional too. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying there's other things that don't play into like the emotional component. But I think that's the thing that kind of, no, not kind of, it breaks my heart. It's like the grooming is so complete that the very things that are built into our system to warn us of things. <laughs> and the phone rings. <laughs> you know, that's fine. We'll, we'll flow with it. Everybody knows it's a, I mean, this is, we're not going for professionalism. So, you know, we're going for having a deep connection and, but That's all of right. these things that are the key to helping us understand ourselves and not get us ourselves to the point we basically basically been groomed not to believe them, trust them, listen to them, you know, and That's it. Go ahead. You know, we're we're taught we're taught, I was taught anyway from a very early age you know, that I couldn't, I couldn't mm -hmm. trust myself. I couldn't trust people around me. I mean, you know, I briefly mentioned that, you know, my parents were divorced. They got divorced twice. Once wasn't <laughs> enough for them. You know, I didn't leave just once. Dad left twice. Uh, uh, you definitely trust no. dad. Um, and, and then you couldn't trust mom because as I said, you know, I, I never knew why I got thrown out. I got thrown out of my home. I literally counted them. In ten uh, different times. How between between what I ages? Was a, between the age of eighteen and twenty twenty three, the last time she invited me to leave, invited no you joke, to leave. invited <laughs> me to leave was Christmas oh, Eve, God. in two thousand eighty one. And my poor husband didn't know what he was getting. In 2081, do you mean 1981? 1981. Excuse me. 1981. Just like me. He didn't know then what he was getting himself into. I mean, we had met 24 days earlier. He and I had spent the night together talking. Mind you, talking. We didn't do anything wrong. We talked. But because in her mind, something had to have gone on, and I was a bad person because of that, on Christmas Eve, she invited him to take me home. I knew this man for 24 days. He could have been the stalker. He could have been yeah. a killer. There's no telling what he could have been. But my mom sent me oh home. Oh, my God. You know, she's, yours. she's yours now. And, I mean, the look <laughs> on this man's face, I mean, he's just like, what the hell did I just get myself into? <laughs> I thought um, you were just having a good time. <laughs> yeah, really, you know, and I'm sure that, you know, there have been many occasions over the course of the last 38 years that he's wondered, what the hell did I get myself into? Yeah. Um, but honestly, I mean, he took it in stride. He took me home with him and he could have been, he could have been this horrible, yeah. horrible person. But again, 
I was very mm-hmm. lucky, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I was okay. And I made it and he turned out to be a wonderful human being and a great person. And yes, he has his flaws. We all have our flaws. Yeah. Um, I'm sure if you talk to me in a couple of weeks from now, I'll hate him because he won't have <laughs> socks in the camper or something. But, <laughs> you know, the reality is that um, he he took yeah. me in, you know, um, and he didn't have to. So, yeah, at least 10 different times from the time of when I was 18 until I was 23 years old. I mean, this just, it became this thing that, if I didn't measure up, and I never knew what those measures were, yeah, about the... that was the piece that was so confusing. You never knew what the measures were. You thought yeah. you knew, but you didn't know. You know, it was okay to go out and have a couple of drinks with mom. That was that was acceptable. If you went out with your friends and had a couple of drinks, you got thrown out. Well, and talk about the pinball, pinball. Like, yeah, there's no. There's no rhyme or reason or method to her madness. She just, it's almost like you're at her whim. And I can remember when um, my dad had a pretty, I would say volatile temper. Um, He was not physically violent, but we did get spanked, which I think I have mixed feelings about how he did that. But, I want to be clear, he was not physically abusive to us, but his anger was terrifying. And I can remember Mm -hmm. coming home from school a few times, and this should have given me a real good indication that I was probably an empath where I could feel before I even got to the front door, like half the block away, I could sense Yeah, and there's just nothing you could do because if you didn't go home, you know, if you went and played with your friends, you were going to get in trouble. If you go home, Mm -hmm. there was just no way to avoid it. And really, I'm sure it had nothing to do with us. But it doesn't matter because that, again, is a type of grooming that I, I think I have grown a lot in my relationship with my dad. Um, and it's been a journey, um, and I'm not letting him off the hook for his behavior. Um, I think if he would have had another way, it's possible that he would have learned another way. Uh Um, and he didn't know another way. And that doesn't give him a right to have done the things that he did um, or chose not to look at. Um, I just, I've watched him as an older man face some things that I didn't think he was humanly, he would be able to face as my dad and as a human. Like to say sorry, impossible my entire life growing up, own something he did impossible he could not do it and he's been able to develop that so that's kind of what i'm saying watching him have growth has shown me that i think if he would have maybe been able to get the tools or had some supports within the church system that we were a part of 
Right. Maybe it could have been different or maybe not. But this isn't yeah. about my dad. Um. <laughs> but, you know, but I, but I think that's an important thing because through all of it, you know, we don't have the tools in the church. And I think that's part of what you and I strive to do as spiritual directors is to give people the tools, you know, to deal with and cope with and have that relationship with God that's a good relationship, a right relationship. But their relationships with people change mm-hmm. too. Well, that's that. That's that. Um, love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. You know, that, that's that loving that's kindness it. piece where, you know, in my mind, I don't think God... I was going to say is going to die on the throne of us. Whatever. I'll just say it that way. It, it, God is not in need of us loving God. All right. So whatever right. our decisions are about God and deconstruction, about faith, whatever, in my practice, and I think in your practice as a spiritual director, it's to hold space for people to go through whatever that's going to look like on the other side or during. But I really think the key piece is learning to love ourselves because out of that love comes, and by loving kindness, it's the real stuff. It's the emotional intelligence. It's the boundaries. It's the saying the hard thing. It's not seeing certain people. It's saying no you're not allowed to do that to me. Um, gives us the ability to trust and love a creator. If mm-hmm. if that's part of our story, and to love other people. But I think that's the church exactly. has said we need to love God first, and then. God helps us love ourselves and our neighbor, which I totally understand. But if the church has given you such a fucked up God that is dictator and hates you and you're never going to measure up, that cannot be your gateway to God or to loving yourself. It just can't be. It can't be. You know, And, and we always equate God to father, mother. I mean, you hear that in the church all the time. That's the language, you know. It's very rare. I was just talking to somebody about this this morning. It's very rare. We hear about the feminine side, the the Sophia side, the wisdom side Mm -hmm. of God. That side that isn't male or just female, but that is wisdom. You know, we always hear about this God. God. Yes. You know, we, we don't, we hear about this God who is, fierce and mean and vindictive and angry and they drill the stories of the old testament into us and you know it's like but that's not that's not who god really is well and that's that for me that's a good segue back into you have a real experience of over and over again reaching out for a dream that you've been told you don't have a place in it's not for you and as you reach out for that dream you achieve it then somebody's saying you're still not enough so that's it the real nuts and bolts of that 
are very painful. And I, if you can, Adriana, can you talk a little bit about the journey that you've been on to kind of hold space for yourself in the constant disappointment? And let's be real about it, because I think people often jump to, well, I'm in this place now where I'm okay and I can see a future without this particular thing because I've bypassed it, but they leave out the part that's like, it has been gut-wrenchingly painful for me to sit in this place of being passed over, being neglected, yep. and they move straight to the jump. But I've been with mm-hmm. you in some of the, you know, shit show. And the pain, yeah. can you talk a little bit about the pain, a little bit about the reality of that, if you feel comfortable, and then the process that you've just been through, also, if you feel comfortable, just sharing a little bit about um, where you've recently arrived at and is still kind of fresh for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it the process has been really as you know, it's been long and it's been hard and it's been frustrating and filled with pain. You know, um, when I first went back to seminary for reasons I won't get into, you know, my husband and I were separated for a time and I knew that that meant they would never consider me to be, you know, at that point. And I thought, you know, if, if by chance we don't make it, I'm now a divorced woman. I've got two yeah. strikes against me. Uh, thank goodness that didn't happen. You know, we reconciled. But again, it was that fighting to get what we wanted, you know, to get back. Um, and so I'm this ordained woman who can't get a job in my denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a Baptist in the state um, have a list and, you know, you get to put your name on the list and blah, 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 and your resume and whatnot. Well, three years later, I'm still yeah. hanging out waiting. You know. um, because I, I get these, you know, these notices and these calls, you know, we got your resume, we're looking at you, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I'm a woman, you know, or I'm too old. That's been the latest thing. You know, now I'm in my early 60s and I'm like, well, you're older, you know, we're not sure. And you don't have, you know, experience. I was like, the hell I don't That's have all experience. I have. <laughs> I've been in ministry for, you know, 30 freaking years now. Don't tell me I don't have ministry, you know, experience. Um, you know, I was doing youth ministry before some of these people that have been interviewing yeah. me were born. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but the most recent experiences have been, you know, sitting in your own church and feeling like that there's the new, the new young hip thing has just Mm -hmm. walked in the door, you know, and so you're asked to take the back seat. You're asked to take a, you know a leave for a time being and that time being turns into a forever or you're a trans person so yeah 
you know, or you're training that person. And you know, you're training them to take over your, yeah. Your job, your your volunteer (laughs) position. I mean, you can't even hold on to volunteer position, you know. Um, When you get to be my age, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, you can do that. You know, we'll pat you on the head and, oh, look at this bright, new, shiny thing, you know. Um, It hurts to constantly be looked over. It hurts to walk into a denominational meeting and have a bunch of of men sitting there making jokes about Mm. wives and you're the one who has to call them on their shit and say you know excuse me I'm sorry but there are two of us who are wives sitting in the room and I don't think either one of us nor your wives really appreciate the jokes guys it's the boys club you know, and, and yes, that really happened. And yes, I'm the crazy woman who opened up her mouth and said, no, you don't get a pass here. This is, you know, we don't talk that way yeah. in this group. And that gets tiring. Um, it gets very tiring. It gets very tiring. And it's very disappointing to, um, you know, so as I said, I went through, you know, seminary. I, I became a spiritual director. Um I had these great hopes for creating this spiritual direction, you know, advancing it in my um, community, you know, and what I've discovered along the way is that that's all well and good as long as I'm willing to do it on my own, you know, Um, I'm not going to be invited into that little clique. Um, we either have to create our own space or there is yeah. no space. And I'm finally starting to figure that out. Um, but it hurts to get there because, you know, you think, okay, so I got my certification. Yeah. They're going to listen yeah. to me now. Um, and they don't, you know, you have to go ask to be put yep. on the website. So you ask to be put on the website and, you know, the next thing, you know, you know, there's a class on spiritual direction, but guess what? You haven't been invited to lead that class. Yes, or and I it. <laughs> Somebody, yeah, you know, and I'm like, yeah. really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, you know, I've been, it hurts because I've been, you know, you sit there, you're involved in something for years, for decades, and every time you turn around, somebody else is getting that ring and you're not. And that's what, that's what I've been through. And it hurts. And the pain makes you really start to question, am I doing the right thing? Did I go the right direction? And what happened for me and to me is that I began to see my voice and my mouthiness and my forwardness as what like was the drawback. Like you, you know, yeah, like mm-hmm. like a like a disability almost, you know, because I I am in the South or you know the cusp of the South, you know, so my brassiness and ballsiness is not always you know welcomed. So I started mm-hmm. to shrink, you know, and I became more quiet and didn't say as much, and 
let people talk over me and um, didn't speak my mind at meetings anymore and was more quiet. I mean, I've been accused of being an eye roller, you know, and that's not what we need. We need to hear your voice. And it's like, no, actually, <laughs> you don't want to hear my voice because you don't like that either. Um, so I tried that route. And, and what I discovered is I lost me in the middle of it. And I think that was the piece you and I were talking about yesterday. You know, I lost me in the middle of that. And I, it dawned on me like last week when an email came that mm-hmm. I wasn't seen. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not seen. And it's not, that hurts. It hurts to yeah. not be seen. And to only be seen by a person, you know, because I'm not going to sit here and tell you that everybody doesn't yeah. see me. That's not true. I mean, I've got some great mentors that are males in my world, you know, that have really seen me, that have really said, you know, Adriana, I see you. I believe in you. You know, the pastor that hired me at the Presbyterian Church, I mean, he really poured into me. Um, another pastor there at that church is still pouring into me. I mean, literally to this day, you know, I guess we've known each other 18 years now is still pouring into me and reminding me, no, Adriana, God called you to this work, to this service for this time, for this place. And you've poured into me and you've given me as much Mm as I've given you. Um, And the voice of our previous pastor at the faith community I'm part of now was pour, would pour into me. Um, but still, the bigger piece of it was that I didn't feel that because yeah. I hurt. Because deep down, no matter what I did, it still wasn't enough. You know, I wanted to be a pastor. I um, I wanted to sit with people. I wanted to help people. I wanted to, you know, love on them. I wanted to tell them about Christ, you know. Um, and I wasn't, that just, I wasn't allowed to do that. You know, not on the terms I wanted yeah. to do it on. Um, so I found other ways to do that. But it still hurt. It still took things away. And I'm still not seen. So I do, and you and I have talked about this, I do interfaith work. And the minute I say I do interfaith work as a spiritual director, man, want to clear a room fast? That's the way to do it. You know, in a heartbeat. Tell them that you sit with other faith traditions, not other denominations, with other faith traditions in a spiritual direction setting. And people start running, screaming from the room like, oh, but there's only one God. Well, you know, I'm here to tell you, yes, there is only one God. The way I found God was through Christ. But you know what? There's a whole bunch of my friends that found God through other matters. You know, and and that's okay. And that's okay. Um, And I'm avoiding the pain because I don't want to talk about the pain. avoiding the pain because the other thing that you know it just hurts so I you know I laugh even within my biological family I am 
the pastor to my family. I do <laughs> all the funerals. I have literally buried a brother, a mother, a nephew. People get sick. They call. Yeah, you go to the. Afraid. You're the it's one like, that goes to the hospital. Yes, I'm the one who goes to the hospital. I'm the one who, you know, you get the three o'clock in the morning phone call. Um, you know, so and so is sick. Can you come? You know, so you go. You know, but nobody else yeah. does that. You know, it's not happening at my church. It's not happening um, anywhere else. It's like, oh well, isn't yeah. she sweet? You and know, that's um. I've built a spiritual direction business, but it's not because my church has re- yeah. referred people to me. It's because other pastors have referred yeah. people to me. You know, other pastors, other people, other people who have experienced sitting with me. It hasn't got a thing to do with the people that I'm the closest to. And that yeah. has always hurt. And that's part of that pain of not feeling like you're enough. And it, it eventually gets to a point where you start to question, well, you know, am I, mm. am I really my authentic self or am I not? And, and that kind of goes back to being, you know, I shrunk. I tried to be something I wasn't. And um, I, two weeks ago when I got this one email, I just decided, you know what? No, I'm done. Nobody's ever seen me. Nobody's going to see me. It's not going to change. It is what it is. So what are you going to do with that? You know, and I I think I'm at that point where it's like, I really don't give a fuck. Anymore. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I'm 62 years old. What are you <laughs> going to do to me? You know, everything happened at DC and that was a turning point for me. Everybody on the internet and on my Facebook page is going, Oh, I just can't believe this happened or I didn't see this coming. Yeah. What the hell? Are you blind? Yeah. You know, you, you've got to be stupid if you didn't see this coming. And so I just started posting stuff. And I literally, you know, I had to introduce myself this week to a, a new pastor at our faith community. And it was one of the things I said, you know, was that I can guarantee you that after last week, I will definitely never get a position at <laughs> any Baptist church in this state that's yeah. even slightly conservative because but i just i i pulled yeah. up all the bullshit just came off and, you know the mask came off and it's like no this is wrong and i screamed from the top well, and of the I roof it's not like it. you haven't been talking uh, about it you just it sounds like no, you kicked it in the high gear <laughs> yeah it's like and you know that's a res- that's the response that's the positive response to the pain. The negative response to the pain is that, you know, um, my self-soothing thing is food. You know, I'll be really honest. You know, I do not have a healthy relationship mm-hmm. with food. <laughs> you know, it's I'm either on again or I'm off again. You know, there is no, there's nothing healthy to that relationship at all. Um, and that's where I drown myself yeah. or I hide, you know, I, I hide and I don't, I don't talk to people or I often. Yeah. It's learning those. Uh, we all have to do that is learning the, the balancing. Yeah. 
you know, um, and that's where the pain for me comes out. It hurts to constantly try and try and try and do your best, you know, to, to be the best you can be at your job and then be told, you know, oh, you know, you're really great and we love what yeah. you do, but we, we don't think you should apply for the executive yeah. director yeah. position. You know, or, you know, we we really love um, that you um, helped create this wonderful shelter, but, you know, we really don't need to hear you advocate for yeah. your guests. All the <laughs> what the point what is- point of what we're doing then if i'm yeah if i'm not going to advocate for yeah. my guess what the fuck am i here for um or you know we're glad that you went to seminary but you know we got this other person and you know you know we do live in uv at uva you know and the university's here and we have all these people with their doctorate degrees you know so you know they're going to teach the class you know we're not going to ask you know we're, we're not going to ask you. Oh, and you know, you're busy yeah. anyway. You don't want to do that. And it's like, no, actually, that's what I want to do. In our conversations, you've really worked hard at not letting that turn into a bitterness. And what I mean by that is it's not that you haven't been bitter and it's not that you don't have a right to be bitter or be angry. The thing that I've noticed about you is I feel like you work really hard part as much as you can put the responsibility on the person that should be responsible for the shitty thing. And you might have to do that a hundred times a week, but I feel like, especially with what you've been going through right now, it really seems like, something shifted it's it's like you've allowed the bitterness there's an acceptance piece which i hate because it's not like i want to be clear i don't feel like we should accept bad behavior shittiness no being passed over but there is a point where we have to accept we can't squeeze blood from a turnip it's like you can stay in a place and hope that someday they're going to ordain women. I remember having a conversation with somebody that it wasn't a, it wasn't a client, but they, it was when I was pastoring the bridge and they were going to this church that did not ordain women. It was this new hipster church that showed up in Portland and they didn't ordain women. Like women didn't have one job. In fact, there wasn't even a woman over the one job that they usually give women children's nursery no woman yeah and she uh she would attend the bridge sometimes but that was where she was going and she was like well I feel like I can change it from within and I looked at her and I was like I'm not going to tell you what to do because this is your life these are your choices I am going to tell you that I have never seen that happen And what usually happens is the person that is called to ministry, because she was also called, and by called, that's a Christian way of saying, you feel like this is the job, this is your, this is the thing you're supposed to do. So cut through the Christian talk. That's what you feel like your job is supposed to be. That's, That's what 
spend your life working. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what she felt. She was in school. And I, I just looked at her and I said, I have never seen that happening. What I have seen happen is the women, the woman, you know, or the person, the gay person spins themselves, jumps through every hoop like you're talking and you are, they're never going to change. You are going to turn yourself inside out yep. to get them to change for you and they are never going to change. So I will be here if that happens to support you. And I am here now to support you. Again, this is your choice. I'm not saying don't try because we are the only ones that can make that kind of decision for ourselves. But you have done a really good job. I feel like everybody medicates, Adriana. So food, but we're all medicating. We're all trying to survive. We have to be aware. And the awareness is the key is how much, how often, what is it doing to my soul, my personhood when I, when I kind of do that too much, the bitterness, it seems like you've laughed your way for the most part as much as you can through the bitterness. (laughs) Um, And you've arrived at something. And I, if, if you could say a little bit about what this new arrival back to yourself feels like to you right now, because I know it's, new and it's fragile but it's something spectacular it is um it it just feels like my voice has returned i just i've reached that point where um and maybe it's my age maybe it's because i have burned so many times um but i just frankly don't give a shit anymore you know what anybody thinks why they think it or how they think it. Um, I really stewed over something. It's a perfect example. So I finally got to preach in December, um, the Sunday before Christmas. And part of the scripture we were looking at was Mary and, you know, how she's met by the angel. And, you know, for those who don't know the story, Mary's met by this angel and, she has no clue who he is, um, but she accepts that God has, you know, impregnated her. And, and we looked at the fact that women in that time could be stoned for being pregnant outside of marriage, literally killed. Mind yeah. you, it takes two people for this to happen. And all I kept thinking as I was preparing this talk was, and this woman is one badass. She is really yeah. badass to, to stand there. And, you know, men didn't talk to women in the first century. You know that. They didn't talk to women, period. You know, didn't happen. Wasn't allowed. It wasn't in the game book. And even that could get you in trouble. And usually when a man did talk to a woman, yeah. that woman ended up getting raped. So here she is, you know, being approached by this thing this you know whether he glowed or whatever who knows i think he probably like a man like you or i would look you know um and and being told all these wonderful things and she's got the nerve to sit there and unlike everybody else who's ever had an angel in the bible come up to them and ask why or question the angel or not believe the angel this woman this young 12 or 13 year old has the nerve to turn around and say 
whatever. If that's yeah. what God wants, I'll do it. That's badass. I don't know a 12 or 13 year old who number one would talk to a stranger. Number two would take the news that, oh, by the way, you're pregnant. Now go home and tell mom and dad. Oh, and, and that guy that you're um, engaged to, you know, so all I wanted to do was say, man, she's one badass. And I just, you know, I sat there that morning and as I'm talking and as I'm giving my, you know, talk, I've got to that point And it's like, you know, I went to say, you know, and she was a really strong woman. And I went, you know what? She was really one <laughs> badass young woman. That's where I am. And I really relate with Mary at this on that level. I really do in that. It's like, I've been a badass. I have fought to be in ministry my entire freaking life. I have jumped through their hoops. I, you know, you need to go to seminary. Okay, fine. Well, you know, you have to do this. You need to be quiet and meek. So I was quiet and meek. That didn't work. I've gotten to this place where I'm just going to be me. And if you like me, yeah. you like me. If you don't, you don't. Um, the way I explained it to our new pastor was, you know, I'm yeah. not everybody's cup of tea. And, and some people are going to like me and some people aren't. But I'm yeah. always going to tell you the truth. And I'm always going to be real with you. And and I think I've gotten back to that place, back to being me and being real and being truthful and being honest. Mm. Did it hurt to get here? It hurts like it hurts that I'm here and that I'm not standing as a pastor yeah. of a church, even an associate pastor as a church. I'm scraping to get by as yeah. a spiritual director instead. You know, and working part-time at, at a shelter, you know, um, at home now, of course, because yeah. of the pandemic, I'm not at the shelter. Um, but, you know, I've decided that that's enough and that's okay. I'm going to take what God has given me and I've been, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I have my education. I, I know I love sitting with people. Mm -hmm. I love hearing people's stories. Um, I, I love, I love being able to see God, the whole mm -hmm. in everything yeah. around yeah. me. And, you know, yeah. The creator. Allah, whatever you want to yep. call that entity. I want to be able to see that and everything. And I want to hold on to that now and, and just run with that. And if it means I eventually one day get lucky enough to be an associate pastor or senior pastor, yeah. yippee, yahoo, kaye, whatever, you know, um, will I be in this place six months from now? Yeah. I can't tell you I will be. I may be back feeling sorry for myself in six months, feeling like, yeah. crap, here we go again, you know. But at least for now, I'm going to build what I can where I can build it. I have a wonderful community of spiritual directors here in the Charlottesville area, and we are regathering and regrouping and redreaming about what that'll look like. Um, I've got my spiritual direction practice and the people that I meet with, and I'm trying to build that and dream with those mm -hmm. folks and what that'll look like. I've 
art, as you already mentioned, um, during the pandemic. And I'm looking at what that looks like and talk about something that's amazing, you know, realizing that, you know, all of this has been about art on some level and being creative, Mm -hmm. finding my creative soul again and just expressing that. And I don't care at this point. Yeah. Well, and I don't think too, I mean, as a spiritual director that um, puts a high value on continuing education, and I'm not talking about necessarily more degrees. Yeah, Yeah. I'm not talking about more degrees. I'm talking about reading, therapy, spiritual direction. Um, Yes. One of the things that is so important is that we have to learn these things ourselves or it is really difficult to hold space for people. I mean, yeah, not everybody has to be abused to hold space for an abuse victim. As a woman, as a human, working out these things in our lives that will happen. I mean, we are going to be, the work is forever. You don't arrive at health, you arrive Mm -hmm. at healthier. Yep. And I think you going through this was it excessive? Yes. Is it right? No. Still, you have gained so much understanding of what it's like to be a woman in the world and a woman in a particular kind of world that you can offer that space yeah. and that wisdom to your clients to go, you're okay. You are enough. That's it. Exactly. Um, I, I tell clients that all the time because I do work with folks a lot who um, question whether they're enough or not. Um, And they're really sitting there on the edge of going, well, am I or am I not enough? And what can I do that's more? And how do I push myself more? And it always comes down to you are perfect and you are beautiful just the way you are. We didn't do anything to come into this world. Yeah. We're here, you know, um, be it by chance or be it by a loving creator, however you want to look at it. Um, We are here. I always go back to something that we used to tell youth all the time. You know, the creator doesn't make junk. And somewhere along the way, we get lost and confused and start to think that, oh, but, you know, if you don't do it this way, you're not good enough. If you're not, if you're an LGBTQ IA plus person, you're not good. If you don't have a job, you're not good enough. If you're not, if you don't have a home, you're not good enough. If you don't strive for the American dream, you're not good enough. But the reality is we're good enough just the way we are. Serve because we breathe. I tell people that all the time. People aren't homeless. They live homeless. They, they aren't homeless people they are people without a home and and there's nothing we do to deserve having a home we all deserve to have a home whether a grass hut or a house with four walls we deserve to have shelter we deserve to be loved we deserve to be cared for and and to feel safe and secure in that and i think that's the piece for me is i've found the safety and the security inside of myself again Instead of seeking that from other people and from the things that are going on on the outside, 
was like this aha moment and just this moment of, wait a minute, it doesn't really matter whether anybody else knows, cares, sees you or anything else. For me, my higher power, my God sees me, knows me. The people that I'm close to, like you, my husband, my family, um, a small women's group I meet mm-hmm. with, yeah. um, they see me and they take my gifts and my talents and they use them and they're yeah. happy and they say, so this good. Is Thank good. you so much. Anna. I really appreciate your Thank you, Angie. Well, We've that's that's all over the place are. here. So. Um, before before I say goodbye, um, is there anything that you want to plug? What would I like to plug? A whole bunch of things. You know, I'm a spiritual director here in Charlottesville area. I'm available. I'm always accepting new clients, um, and I am interfaith um, in that I sit with Christian men and women, pastors, peers. But I also mm-hmm. sit with Muslim women. Um, I believe strongly that mm-hmm. God is God yeah. is God. Get and I'll, God I'll put all of that in the matter. show notes, like how to find your website and uh, all of that stuff. And the, the other thing I would plug is, you know, if you have homeless shelters, you know, if, if you have a shelter near you, please, please, mm. please yeah. give. Take care of your neighbor. Check in on your elderly neighbor. You know, my husband and I haven't been out and about in 10 months now. Yeah. You know, pick up the phone. Call your neighbor. Yeah, that's really good. Make sure that they're okay. They're okay. Um, We forget those little things that mean so much. That mom that lives (laughs) next door that looks like she's got it all together tomorrow let me tell you she doesn't have it all together her kids driving her insane her husband's driving her insane because they're all home under one roof and she's expected to do it all now they're not getting by and they're not doing well um they need every little bit of effort and prayer and loving kindness that we have available for them okay thank you my friend i really appreciate it I love you. Yes. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I know that it got a little rough with the quality towards the end, but I believe everybody could understand what she was saying and um, get the takeaway. I am very grateful that Adriana was willing to do that. I think it's a story that we can all relate to. I am so, so grateful for her vulnerability and her willingness to share it with us. I know it was long, so hopefully you can take a long walk. You can break it up into parts and (laughs) listen to it in your car. Story still stands. Thank you for being faithful and listening, for holding space with me 
and with yourself for being out there in the world doing your thing. Please share it, rate it, review it. All of that means a lot to me. And just like Adriana, I am also accepting clients. I also do the archery. It's going right now. If you're in Portland, I'm still... I'm still at it with all the COVID regulations. You can find me on all of the different platforms and social media outlets. I would love to hear from you by email or DM me if you have any topics that you want me to discuss or people that you think I should talk to. We're in this together, everybody. Remember who you are. You are worth knowing. You are worth loving. You're worth being in this world. My dog is freaking out outside. Take care, everybody.